Well, good morning and welcome to Grace Fellowship. My name is Matt Plott, and I'm incredibly excited that you guys have decided to join us this morning. Whether you're watching on Facebook, YouTube, or Twitch, I just want to say thank you for being a part of our church experience today. So this is the second week of our series, What Would Jesus Undo?, where we're going through the process of saying, what are the things that we maybe think that we're getting right in following Jesus that in reality, we're miles apart from what Jesus actually has for your life and for mine. Now, if you joined us last week, we worked through the idea of indifference and the idea that all of the things that are happening around you impact you and that everything is connected and that we have to care about the people and about the things that God cares about. Now, this week, we're going to be looking at a completely different topic, but it's going to have that same kind of feel of trying to figure out the areas where we're getting it right and the areas where we're getting it wrong. And this week's topic is actually this, hypocrisy. Now, if you're a person who has never been a Jesus follower or you've never kind of been in church and you just happen to be watching our video today, I want to tell you, I know that you see that word and think, oh, well, he's talking about all Christians. He's talking about all of them. The whole big lot of them are a whole bunch of hypocrites. And I'm going to tell you right now that in some areas, you're absolutely correct. But I will also tell you that in other areas, you are as well. And here's the way that plays out, because I want to look at a couple of universal truths about why that happens in the life of a Jesus follower and why that happens in the life of other people that don't know Jesus as well. And here's what one of those is right here. We set our own standard in everything we do for what is right or what is safe or what is acceptable. So I want you to think for just a minute, and I want you to be totally honest with yourself here. Do you ever text and drive? Think through that for a minute. Maybe it's just a real quick thing, a fast reply. Do you ever text and drive? Or how about this one? Are you a person that views the speed limit maybe as more of a suggestion than a rule of thumb? Because you know whether you're texting and driving or whether you're speeding that the things that you're doing are wrong. You know that they're both illegal, but you also look at it and say, you know what, though? I'm going to be really careful, or I've got the driving skills that can kind of back up the fact that I can go ahead and be a little bit distracted and still drive, or I can go ahead and speed a little bit faster and be okay. I'm very good at driving. I'm going to make sure that I take my time and I'm careful, and I'm going to go ahead and kind of thumb my nose at what's happening with the rule of thumb or the rule of law. Because for me, at that point, I'm choosing what's right for me. I'm kind of setting my own standard for what's okay. And now here's the way we look at that for your life and for mine. Whenever we've got somebody in our lives that we see either driving faster than we do or slower than we do, we automatically make a snap decision. And there was actually a comedian years ago who explained it like this. He said, you know, if you're a person that is driving and there's someone driving way slower than you, they're an idiot. And if there's somebody who's driving really fast and they 
blast right past you. They're a maniac. That's what we're talking about is that we look at the standard that we set for ourselves and then we start judging everybody else across that same standard. We say, I think this is the safe speed to drive because I know my skills. And if other people aren't driving that same speed or they're driving faster than that speed or slower than that speed, then I make the determination that they aren't being safe with their method of travel. Now, you might hear that and say, you know, I don't know how that would apply other than driving. I don't know any other area of life where that might be true. Well, let me ask you a question, because there are some of you, I'm sure, that are parents that are watching this, and maybe you would view it like this. You're walking through Walmart, and you see a person with their child, and their child is losing their mind. And you don't know whether that parent needs a paddle or a priest, but you know that they need help in one way or another. You see them and you think, I would never allow a child to act like that around me. And yet there have been times where your kids have pushed you, or maybe your grandkids have pushed you, and you've had to figure out what that looks like in a public venue. Do you take them out to the car? Do you handle it right there on the spot? Do you look at the child and say, where is your mother? You look at the child and you say, I don't know how to deal with this. You've been there, but sometimes we forget. And sometimes we look at what other people are dealing with, and we don't give them grace or compassion for what they're going through. See, ultimately, you will never be a hypocrite if you're only living to your own standards. If you say, this is right for your life and this is wrong for your life, those are the things that you ultimately believe. So if you say, it's wrong for me to go out and do something and then you don't do it, you're never going to violate your own belief. And if you say, it's right for me to go out and do this, and I agree with that and I'm going to go out and do it and I do it, then you're saying that it's okay for me to do this and you're never going to violate your own belief. But the problem is when we find ourselves trying to live up to somebody else's standards, it doesn't work. See, ultimately, there's one hard truth that we all have to understand, and that's this. When you are trying to live according to somebody else's standards, you will fail. You will. You will ultimately fail when you're trying to live your life by somebody else's standards. Now, I'm not just talking about like maybe an overbearing parent, but I'm also talking about God. I'm talking about it from the fact that God's desire for your life and mine is that we be perfect because we can't be in his presence if we're not. And I can tell you, I am not perfect. And I can tell you, anyone watching this right now is also not perfect. But that I can have that relationship with God because of what he did for me through Jesus. Now, I know, like I said before, that there are people who are watching right now that would say, you know what, all of you church people, every single one of you, I've walked away from you years ago because of this. 
They are all hypocrites. All of them. Every last one of them. Yeah, we are. I try to hold myself to the standard that God has put out in front of me. But because I'm a sinner, I miss that mark. And God's got a plan for my life that is better than what I'm living through because I am a sinner and I miss that mark. I'm going to miss it sometimes terribly. And then other times, I'm going to get closer to where I need to be. But at the end of the day, I know what God wants from me. I'm just not getting there. Which means that in the eyes of somebody who also knows what God wants for my life, that I, to them, would be a hypocrite. See, at the end of the day, for you and for me, when we're going through and we're trying to figure out what comes next in your life or what comes next in my life, we walk down this path and say, okay, so I need to follow all of these rules that God has laid out, and I need to go through this path and go through this process, and we miss stuff. But God knew that was going to happen. He knew that that was going to be the case for you, and he knew that that was going to be the case for me. See, ultimately, at the end of the day, for each and every one of us, we're walking through this path together. And we're trying to figure out how we can do what God wants out of each of us. Now, here's the thing. Your journey and my journey are going to look different. The things that you're dealing with and the things that you're struggling with are going to look different from the things that I'm dealing with and the things that I'm struggling with. But ultimately, it's not my place to look at you and come down with a hammer on the things that you're dealing with whenever I have my same struggles over here. See, there's a pastor named Stephen Furtick, and he didn't quite describe it like this, like what I'm talking about right now, but let me show you his quote, and we'll talk about it for a minute. He said this, The reason we deal with insecurity is because we compare our behind-the-scenes with everyone else's highlight reel. Now, the reason I throw this up on the screen is because you know what your behind-the-scenes looks like. I know what my behind-the-scenes looks like. But if I'm only ever showing to every other person in my life my highlight reel, when they eventually get a glimpse of the behind-the-scenes, and they will, I am to them going to look like a complete and total hypocrite. So what if you flip this on its ear? What if instead of showing everybody only your highlight reel, you let them in behind the scenes? You tell them, hey, listen, I know that I constantly get on you about the fact that when we're riding together, you're texting and driving, and honestly, it worries me. It scares me. I don't like being behind the wheel with you whenever you do that. I don't like that. It makes me nervous. And then we add to that, but you know what? I struggle with that too. I constantly text whenever I drive, and because of that, you and I, we can work through this together. I acknowledge that I have this problem. I'm pointing out that I see where it's an issue for you too, and I want us to work through this together. 
by inviting that person behind the scenes of your life, you're able to say, listen, I want to work with you through this. I want to partner with you and say, I know that you're struggling here, but so am I. You're not putting up the opinion of, I don't have any of these issues, and going forward from there, you're letting them in to see your vulnerabilities. You're letting them in to see that just because you say that this is an issue doesn't mean that it's not an issue for you too. You're being incredibly authentic and real with the people that are around you. So as we're kind of thinking through that and working through it together, I want to take a look at some scripture, and I actually want to look pretty heavily right now at some of the words of Jesus. So if, you're, if you've got a Bible there with you, we're going to be opening to the book of Matthew. We're going to be turning to Matthew chapter 23. That's in the first, or it's in the second half of the Bible. It's the part we call the New Testament, and it's actually the very first book of the New Testament. So go ahead and open into your Bible. We're going to go to the New Testament, and you're going to be looking for Matthew chapter 23, and we're going to start in verse 5. While I'm having you look there, if you don't have a Bible and you would like one, we've got these here. I would love to put one of these in your hands if you want one. Just go ahead and message the church and let us know, and we would be only too happy to make sure that we're getting a copy of this off to you so that you could have it at home for yourself. So just keep that in mind also. So what we have here is Jesus is out with his disciples, as he often is. He's in the city of Jerusalem. He's standing at or near the temple, and he's talking about what he is seeing with the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees are the religious leaders of the time. They're the guys that were in charge of everything happening at the temple. They're the ones that were walking through and saying, you know, this is okay. This is not okay. You're doing this wrong. You're getting this right. They were the ones that were making sure people were abiding by the laws that God had put in place for them in the Old Testament, in the first half of the Bible. Now, the thing to keep in mind with that is they took those laws that God had given them and they started finding new ways to add more difficult procedures to them. They made it a lot harder than what God had initially intended for people to deal with. They kept making it more difficult and more difficult and more difficult. And it has gotten to the point where as Jesus is walking around, he's on earth right now. He sees what they're doing and he realizes it's time to call these guys out. And this is where we pick up, is in Matthew chapter 23, verse 5. Here's what happens. Talking about the Pharisees, here's what he says. Everything they do is for show. On their arms, they wear extra wide prayer boxes with scripture verses inside. They wear robes with extra long tassels. And they love to sit at the head table at banquets and in seats of honor at the synagogues. So he's already laying the groundwork, to basically light these guys up. He's saying, hey, look at these Pharisees over here. Look at these religious leaders. Look at these guys walking in to the temple. They're doing everything that you see them doing for show. They've got the long robes. They've got maybe big hats. They've got extra wide prayer boxes on both of their arms. 
they're putting all of this stuff on and walking around like they got it all together. Like they've got it going on. Like these guys are God's select. They're the ones that God has personally said, you are the man, and because you're the man, I want you to look the part. And they're walking around making all of the rest of the common people feel less than. Making all the rest of the people that they surround, that they are surrounded by, feel like they're not getting it right. Making them feel like they can't live up to the standards and the pomp and circumstance that these guys bring with them wherever they go. Now, Jesus says even here, and they love to sit at the head table at banquets. They want to be the guy. They want to be the person that is that center of attention when they walk into the room. It's not about God for them. It's not about serving him. It's not about being a part of something greater than themselves. They want it to be about themselves. And Jesus starts calling them out for this. He point blank says, you're going to see here in just a minute, he point blank says, they're hypocrites. The things that they're doing are all for show. They're not doing it to lead people to God. They're not doing it to serve God. They're doing it to serve themselves. We're going to skip ahead here to, to verse 25, and let's take a look at what Jesus says here. What sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are filthy, full of greed and self-indulgence. He's talking about the fact that they can put on as beautiful of a robe as they want. They can put on as big of prayer boxes as they want. They can put on whatever cloak and sash and anything else that they want to wear. It's not going to fix the fact that inside they're a mess, that inside they're filthy, that inside they have all sorts of problems. See, now when he's talking about the outside of the cup, he's talking about a religious practice. So think about what that would look like for a minute. If you were a person and you're holding a cup and you're standing over your sink and you look at it and say, wow, that cup is disgusting. And you start scrubbing and washing all around the outside of it. You scrub it up real nice and then you take it and you put it in your dish strainer. And you didn't wash the inside. The cup is still filthy. Even though the outside may look clean at that point, the outside may look as though, you know what, somebody took time and washed this. If you turn it over and you look down inside, it's still going to be disgusting. And Jesus goes on to say this, you blind Pharisee, first wash the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside will become clean too. He's saying, look at what you're doing. You are disgusting on the inside. You're a horrible person on the inside. It doesn't matter what you're wearing. You're still awful. But if you cleaned out your inside first, if you acknowledged, I'm doing terrible things, I'm a terrible person, 
I need to get right with God, clean up my life, clean up my act, and get things together, the outside will be clean too. The way you live your life will be clean. Now, he's not suggesting here that the clothes and the garments will automatically be clean as well of a person that is dirty. He's simply saying that if the inside is clean, the outside reflects it. The outside shows the same thing as the inside because you start living your life in a way that shows what's going on inside of you. He goes on to say this again. What sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, again, hitting them where they live. For you are like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. Imagine someone walking up to you and saying, the inside of you, your soul, your being, your personality is the same level as the inside of a tomb. Dead, decaying, rotting, an aroma that just reeks and is pungent. That you are so filthy on your inside that that's what you are like. And that I don't care what is on the outside of your body, you are terrible on the inside. You do not speak to religious leaders like this at this time. You don't do it. You show them respect. You show them honor. You show them that their position of authority matters. You show them the respect that they are due because of who they are. And if you don't do that, it becomes a thing. But Jesus is calling them out for inappropriate behavior, for bad living, for leading people astray from what God truly has for their lives. He goes on to say this, Outwardly, you look like righteous people, but inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. How many Jesus followers do you know that reach that level of criteria? Are there people that miss the mark? Yes. Are there people that aren't living the way God wants them to live? Yes. Do we call some of them pastor? Yes. But nobody is getting it 100%. Not anybody. So anytime you hear somebody leveling the claim of hypocrisy, they're correct. Because nobody is living up to the standard that God has for us. And we know what that standard is because God took the time to tell us. He sent Jesus to give us the information that the standard that God has for us is that sin can't be in his presence. So if we are sinning, we are getting it wrong, which means that none of us is perfect. None of us is hitting that mark. Yet more often than not, we go and we tell people, this is what you need to do. 
This is how you need to live. This is the direction that you need to take without ever acknowledging that we have problems as well. That is where hypocrisy comes in. Because if you go back to all of the things that Jesus had said, he is not actively calling out their sin. He's not. He's not calling out the fact that they have flaws. He's calling out the fact that they're living to a standard that they are holding people accountable against where they're not meeting it either. He's calling out the behavior. He's calling out the show. The fact that they walk in and they have the long flowing robes and the sash and they tell everyone else, you're wrong and you're wrong and you're wrong and you're missing the mark and over here you're getting it wrong and I know what you did last week without ever acknowledging that they too are sinners. Jesus has a very, very clearly low tolerance for hypocrisy. He can't stand it. He can't stand when people who are going through the process of trying to lead others toward him are unwilling to admit that they have issues as well. So if that's you, if you're a person that follows Jesus and you're struggling in this area, let's look through this together for a minute. Do you have areas where you struggle? I do. I've already told you a couple of them, mostly behind the wheel of a car. I text and I drive and I speed. I work through those processes all the time of asking God to help me get to the point where I can be doing better. But I have those flaws, so I own it. I own it. I let people know these are the issues that I have. If I speak into a situation in your life, it's because I love you, I care about you, and I want you to be doing better. It doesn't mean that I don't still have issues, that I need you to do the same thing with me. Are you a person that's got a issue that you're fighting against daily? Own it. If you're a person that's got that problem happening, and there's something going on, say, hey, listen, I'm fighting against this too. That can be an incredibly strong part of your testimony that you can be sharing with somebody else to help them get through whatever it is that you are currently dealing with. You can help guide them down that path and give them assistance with whatever their walk needs to look like. And lastly this, don't live your life as if you aren't still a sinner. If we know that the world around us is going to constantly call out, you are a hypocrite, look at them, embrace it, and say, yes, I am a hypocrite, but I'm also forgiven. Because I miss God's mark all the time, and I try to help other people understand where they are missing it too. But you know what? God forgave me, and he will forgive you if you simply ask him to. Acknowledge it. Grab onto it with both hands and say, yeah, I get it wrong regularly, and that's why I need Jesus. If I didn't have him, I would have no hope. 
and let them know that that's where you are in your walk, in your process. See, Paul goes on to, in Titus, explain it like this. We're going to take just a quick switch of gears here because we've looked at what Jesus says when he's actually calling out the hypocritical behavior. But Paul takes it one step further and says, this is what it means when you go through and continue to be a hypocrite and what it does in your life. So let's take a look at this. This is in the book of Titus. You don't have to turn there. It's going to be up on the screen. But it's in the book of Titus, chapter 1, starting in verse 15. Everything is pure to those whose hearts are pure. But nothing is pure to those who are corrupt and unbelieving because their minds and consciences are corrupted. Such people claim they know God, but they deny him by the way they live. They are detestable and disobedient, worthless for doing anything good. Now what Paul is telling us here is not just that when you are living life one way and you're giving everybody one show and you're showing them everything's perfect for me and my family, we didn't just get into an argument on the way to church this morning. My kids are here, they're dressed, they're well-behaved. I did not have to yell at them to get them here today. He's saying when you put up that front, when you put on that mask, that covering, that cloak that you're putting over top of yourself and walking into a situation where you're misrepresenting what your life really looks like, he calls it detestable, disobedient, and worthless for doing anything good. Now, I know you might be thinking, if you are a longtime Jesus follower and you've been in church for years, well, how can you say that that's worthless for doing anything good? Well, what Paul is talking about here is it damages your testimony so severely that when you have that coming out from behind the facade moment where people see you're behind the scenes, they are going to question anything and everything that you've ever said or done. You see it time and time again where if they were covering this up, what else don't I know? That's what he's talking about here, is that all of the stuff that you would hope that people would pay attention to and want to hear and want to know from you, all of a sudden, it doesn't matter as much. Because all of a sudden, everything that you've said and done is now being called into question. So as we've been working through this and trying to understand what would Jesus undo, this is the answer to that question. What would Jesus undo? He would undo our desire to show our perfect exterior. We would gravitate instead toward more genuine relationships with everyone. If you haven't written anything else down from this sermon, if you haven't gone through that process and said, you know, this is something that I think I need to kind of jot down, if that's where you are right now, this would be what I would ask you to write down, that we would gravitate toward more genuine relationships with everyone. Because that's what our human condition and our life is all about. 
if you're a Jesus follower, accompanying somebody else through the path that they're walking, down the road of whatever it is they're dealing with, coming up beside them and saying, I've got stuff that I've been through as well, and I want to walk with you because I love you, I care about you, and I want to be there to support you. That is what it means to be in a genuine relationship. And if you start changing it to where you say, you know what, I don't need my facade anymore. I'm going to walk away from the disguise. I'm going to walk away from the mask. I'm going to walk away from all the things that I've been hiding or covering up. You are going to feel free. You're going to put down those burdens and walk away from all the heartache and the hardship that has come from you trying to go through that process of making sure you're getting it right and keeping that facade up and telling the right story and giving the right person the right information. You can lay all of that down and say, listen, I am a broken person just like you, and just like you, I've got stuff that I'm dealing with. We could have a new level of honesty together. You could, I could, if we simply say, you know what, I get it wrong. There are times that I make mistakes, and I know that God forgives those, but I don't want you to think that I'm perfect. I don't want you to think that I don't still struggle. I want you to know that I'm aware I'm not going to get it right, but I am forgiven. That I'm not always going to meet God's mark, but that he forgives me. And that regardless of whether I come close to hitting his mark or I miss it by miles, that he loves me either way and wants to continue to have a relationship with me. So each sermon I write up, the, you know, the questions that I want to talk about tomorrow night whenever we're doing our online grace group. And I'll be honest, as I was writing through these ones, I know that it's going to take a level of honesty from each of you whenever you come into that chat session. And I'll be praying for you guys as you're working to get logged in there and ready to go because this is something that we all need to talk about if we really want to be able to use our abilities to reach other people. So here's the first question. What would it look like if you were vulnerable about your sins? If you were willing to tell people, hey, listen, I get it wrong. I don't always manage the way that I should. I make mistakes. It happens, and I know I need to do better. If you told them the truth, about the things you're really dealing with, what would that look like for you? The second part of that question is, would that be a better testimony for you? Would that be more powerful to the people that you spend the most time with if you told them, I'm going to be 100% open, honest, and transparent about what's happening here because I feel like you deserve to know? And the third question is this. How do you react toward others sharing their struggles? Are you a person they can talk to? Or do you condemn them, judge them, shut it down, and say, you've got to get better. You've got to do better. You are constantly missing that mark. Which one do you fall into? Which category are you? 
Or are you a person where people don't even try anymore because they already know what they're going to get? I want you guys to think through those as we're preparing for our discussion group tomorrow night. Give it some thought. Give it some prayer. And uh, we'll go from there with what, what that needs to look like in tomorrow night's discussion. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, I just want to thank you so much for all of the things that you've given me. God, I want to thank you so much for the fact that I'm forgiven when I don't get it right. And God, I, I, I just I have to be 100% honest here that if there's anybody out there that is listening to this or watching this and they're struggling, I want them to know that they can come to me, they can come to other people at the church, they can be open and honest with each of us about where their issues are, what their struggles are, and that we will do our best to help them through that process. God, please continue to bless us as a church. God, bless us as we're going forward from here and trying to figure out what those next steps need to look like. Thank you again for everything. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I look forward to seeing you guys right back here tomorrow night for the online discussion group. And if you can't make that, we look forward to seeing you right back here next week on Sunday morning. Thank you so much again. Have a blessed week.